All right. <clears throat> well, good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Cool. My name is Dave Nelson, uh, pastor here at K2, and so I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. And I want to say thanks to God, too, for uh, helping us out on a day when we're going to start a series on water, making it 92 degrees and sunny. So, um, so I'm sure uh, you're going to need plenty of this stuff today, and, uh, and that's what we're going to hit. So I, um, it's kind of funny, we have a running joke in my family, because uh, as soon as I married Susie, um, that woman is passionate about water. And she, for the last 12 years, has been trying to cram water down my throat. I don't know, anybody else have anybody like that in your family? Like to Susie, water is the cure for everything. And so, I mean, if I've got a headache or if I'm not feeling good or if I, well, she's like, have you drunk any water? Her answer is always water. My kids go outside and they fall down, they scrape her knee. They need a drink of water. You know, it's like water fixes everything. And, uh, but this year, uh, this week, as I was studying, I found out, um, I think she might know what she's talking about. So, you guys know 70% of your body is water? 70%. Now you do know this, if you don't drink any water in five days, you're going to die. I mean, so it is essential and, and really essential just to live. But water is required for the distribution of nutrients and, and different hormones and other, there's all this stuff that, that gets communicated even through our body and move through our body. And if you have enough water, then it moves well and we function better. And also, every time you breathe, every time you move, all of our exercise of our body, when we do this, there's there's waste that actually gets put into your body. And it's the water that's inside of you that actually gets rid of all the waste. And so, if you're not drinking enough water, you have all this stuff that's inside of you that literally inhibits you from fully functioning. See, this is where I'm like going, okay. So now I know why I'm supposed to drink. Listen to this list. The the lack of water can either contribute to or even help cause. Lower back pain, chronic fatigue syndrome, diabetes, headaches, asthma, allergies, colitis, rheumatoid, arthritis, and high blood pressure. Anybody got any of those? Okay, two. All right. That wasn't very helpful. So, um, but how how about this one? This one might help you because I I looked at that list too and I'm like, okay, that's nice. I'll, I'll work on those. But here's the other thing. Dehydration, the lack of enough water, is the number one reason for daytime fatigue. Now, how many of you have that? See, when I read that, I just thought, okay, if I can have more energy, then man, bring it on. And all I got to do is drink water. And how much water are we supposed to drink? Okay. Okay, I'll tell the answer. No, I'm kidding. No, I mean, I grew up here in eight, right? Eight glasses of water, eight, eight ounces glass. That's 64 ounces of water. But every website I went to on water... That's not what they're saying anymore. This is how much water you're supposed to drink. You take your body weight, you divide it in half, and that's how many ounces of water you're supposed to drink. Do you know how much water I got to drink? What are you laughing about? (laughs) I'm not. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, no, seriously. I got to drink a boatload, man. I need camelback on my, you know, those camelback things. Because I, it's amazing, I have to drink like nine glasses of more, way more than eight ounces just to even have the point where my body's fully functioning. So here's the point, you guys. Water is essential to life. So here's what we're going to do. In the next four weeks, we're going to do this series called H2O. And it's just an idea that hit me because when you read the scriptures, God uses water as a metaphor through the Bible all the time. 
And this is one of the things we love about God, right? He's so far beyond us. And his ways and his knowledge and his understanding is impossible for us to completely understand. So sometimes what he does is is he says, okay, so I want you to understand a spiritual truth. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about something that you completely understand. So next week we're going to talk about streams. And he's going to help us to see how our relationship with God is like a stream. And then the next week we're going to talk about floods. Because God helps us to understand when life is like a flood. Then we're going to talk about seas. This is the one that freaks my wife out. She won't even go on a cruise with me because she's freaked out about the ocean. Because it's so big and so vast and there's stuff in there we don't even know anything about. And then the last one, we're going to talk about rain. And we're going to look at how rain and seas and floods and and streams and God, hopefully in these next four weeks, is going to show you some very cool spiritual truths by talking about the metaphor of water. But today, um, we're not going to talk metaphorically. So today we are just going to talk about, and the word today is wells. And we're going to talk about how water is essential for life. And, and here's the point. You guys already know this. I'm not going to tell you something where you're going, oh my gosh, water is essential for life? Man, am I glad I came to church today. You know, I mean, it's like, and there's going to be probably a lot of the things that I'm going to share with you. And I think they're probably things you know but they aren't actually moving you to do anything. And that's what's not okay. So what's interesting is even in the Bible, you go to Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and it's in Genesis chapter 26. We've got Isaac, so we've had Abraham in the beginning of of Genesis, now his son Isaac. And the Israelites are really growing as a community. And at this point, they're actually living in somebody else's land, but the people are getting so big that these people are getting freaked out, and they're like, okay, you gotta go because you're kind of overtaking our population. So Isaac takes his people, and if you know anything about the Israelites, they were nomads. They, they lived in the desert. And so we pick it up in chapter 26, verse 19, and it says, Isaac's servants dug in the valley, and they discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac, and they said, the water is ours. So Isaac named the well Essek, which means dispute, because they disputed with them. Then they dug another well, But they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna, which means opposition. He moved on from there and he dug another well. You guys guys see how this works? Isaac is the leader of this group of people and he's a nomad walking through the desert. What is the number one thing he has to do if he loves these people? He's got to find them water. Who cares about the Ten Commandments? Who cares about the law? Who cares about the spiritual stuff? If you don't drink, you die. So the first thing that Isaac has to do is because I love you, I'm going to make sure that there's a well. And so then he goes on, he moved on from there and he dug another well and no one quarreled over it finally. So he named it Rehoboth, which means room, saying this, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. See, what Isaac knew was we don't have a chance to flourish as a people. We can't even get to the whole stuff about our hearts and our minds and our love for God and our love for others until we find a place that can just help us to live. And then as soon as we have clean water, now we can flourish in the land. Wells are first. So now what I'm going to do, you guys, is I just want to share with you... um, because how many of you know there's a water crisis? You guys know? Anybody know that? Okay. The video just told you. Um, but you guys know. I mean, your head would have to be so deep in the sand today to know that there's not a water crisis. 
And I, I'm just going to share some statistics with you. But before I do, I want to pray. Because as I said earlier, I am going to share stuff with you that maybe you already know. But I'll be honest with you. I was studying this stuff Wednesday and I'm looking at all these statistics and I realized something. I don't care. I don't care. And I think what might be true about you is that you might be like me where you know there's a crisis, where you know that there's something wrong and you're not doing anything about it. See, and if you don't do something about it, then the point is then you don't care. Um, if you can remember a few weeks ago, we did a message on anger. And we are talking about how anger can actually be a good thing. That anger in its purest form is when you love something and the thing that you love is being threatened. If you really love it and it's being threatened, then you rise up and you do something about it, right? So you can go ahead and say, hey, I really love this, whatever that thing is. And then if it's being threatened and you don't do anything about it, then what's the truth? You don't love. You don't care. And it's really easy as a Christian, even as a pastor, to say, I really love the world. I really care about people. But here's the point today. If you're not doing anything about it, don't fool yourself into thinking that you actually care and that you actually love. And so what we need to do is we got to pray. And we got to, because if we can pray, and if you'll hear God's voice today, not just mine and not just the the statistics, but if God's spirit will actually nudge inside you today, I think you and I could change. And we could actually walk out of here making a difference instead of continuing in the path that we've just been going, all right? So let me pray for us, and then we'll go into this thing. God, thanks for everybody who's here. Uh, Thanks for this day. And uh, I just simply want to ask that you'd wake us up. Um, Lord, we, we have a lot of information, but information lots of times doesn't lead to transformation. We get stuff inside of our heads and it actually never gets to our hearts. And I'm just going to simply ask today that in this room and in the next time that we have here together, that your presence would be so real to us that we would hear your voice and that you would move what we know in our heads down into our hearts and that we would actually care about the things that you care about. And I pray for it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let me give you some stats. Today, 884 million people lack access to clean water. Now that is, 884 million, you guys, that is three times the population of the United States. That many people in the world today can't do this. Can't go get a sip of clean water. 3.41 million people die every year from water, sanitation, and hygiene-related causes. 3.41 million people, you guys, that's the size of Los Angeles. So that's like every year, the city of Los Angeles is wiped off the planet because they can't do this. So I did some math, and I boiled that down to today. That means today, while you and I are sitting in here, 
We're actually going to offer you some water at the end of the service. You're going to go to your home, just like I'm going to go to my home. I'm going to water my lawn (laughs) so it's green, because that's really important. I'm going to do that, and you're going to do that, and we're going to drink. And while we're here today, on June 3rd, 2012, 9,342 people are going to die because they can't go get a glass of clean water. Now, let's, let's boil that down because even then, when I hear the stat, the 9,300 people, there's part of me that goes, oh, wow, that's, that's not good. Let's put it this way. As one guy I was reading said this, 9,342 people, that would be as if you got out of the service today and hopped in your car and you turned on the radio and the news popped on and you found out that 25 Boeing 747s crashed while we were in here. 25 Boeing 747s crashing on this day. Now, if you heard that in the news, what, I mean, what would the world be doing? Oh well, yeah, we'd be freaking out, right? See, because even when one plane, when one plane crashes and 363 people die, we call that a what? That's a tragedy. And so everybody freaks out and we go, well, what was happening in the black box? And did the pilot fall asleep? And did they have enough training? And how can we change things? Everybody tries to figure this out. If one plane falls to the ground and dies, we all freak out. And today, it will be like 25 of them falling. And then you wake up tomorrow and 25 more planes crash and die. And the next day, 25 more planes I'm serious, you guys see, I just sit there and I, th- that's when I'm like going, now wait a second, because if that was going on, we would do whatever it took to stop it. <laughs> and yet, people can't drink water, and I do nothing. Joseph Stalin has a quote. He said, when one person dies, it's a tragedy. And when a million people die, it's a statistic. When one person dies, it's a tragedy. And one million people die, it's a statistic. See, and he knew that. So he obliterated so many people that the the tragic thing just gets dissipated because there's so many that are dying. And I think for us sometimes, we look at the problem in the world and it just looks so big that it just feels like a statistic. And then I can just keep going on because it's not my kid. It's not my wife. It's not my brother, not my dad. You know, and so we, we struggle with that. And, I, and I'll be honest, you guys, I, this, I'm taking you on the journey for me even in these last four days. Why don't I really care? And why am I actually not, haven't I been doing anything about this tragedy? Because part of the issue is, you guys, we're aware of it. You all know. Now, maybe a thousand years ago, people, they weren't aware of what was going on in the world. Because of technology, we're aware. Here's the second thing. We actually have access to the problem. You guys know that? I mean, see, because right now there are organizations everywhere who are moving into these deep, dark places and we can get into these countries that you couldn't get to hundreds of years ago. So we have awareness and we have access. And here's the third thing. Do you have ability? Do we have the ability to do something? But I think this is where we get stuck because we sit there and you go, what can I do? I don't have a million dollars or a billion dollars. I can't. No. But you know what's interesting? If, in fact, this happened this week, um, my youngest, uh, Caleb, went swimming with one of his buddies this week, and uh, they were diving off into the deep end. 
and Caleb dove off into the deep end, and uh, my buddy Rich was standing there right next to the lifeguard. And uh, Caleb jumps in the pool, and he's flailing all around, and he's just a total goofball, you know. So Rich is just kind of watching him, and then Caleb keeps flailing and all around, and all of a sudden, Rich said he actually looked at the lifeguard, and he goes, do you think he's okay? And I think he's okay. And Caleb's flailing, and finally he goes under, and he lifts up his head, and he goes, God, help me! (laughs) And then Rich is like, he's not okay! You know, and so they jump in the water, and Caleb made it to the other side. Now, if you go swimming today, because it's 92 degrees, and somebody is literally drowning. I had this happen. My younger brother, who got caught in weeds in a good old Michigan lake, and he was down, and he's drowning. If you jump in, and you save him, what do you become? You're a hero. I mean, seriously, like, God, you'll live with that for the rest of your life. It's like I had a chance. This dude was dying, and I saved that one life. And see, for us, what we forget, you guys, like that video, $20 used in the right way by the right people can save a life. What you need and what I need to remember today is that I could actually stop a tragedy because I could impact one life or three lives or five lives. I don't know how many lives by simply having the heart that God has. And so you guys, this is the stuff. When you die and you go see God, because that's what's going to happen, we're going to come before him and we're going to stand before him. These are the things that you think, man, I just wrote a check for $20. You know, shoot, I can't go to uh, Quiznos after, I don't know. And God used it to help save a life. And when we see him, this is going to be some of the reward stuff that you had no idea that when you were faithful with your finances, when you were faithful with your time, when you were faithful to volunteer and actually care about those who are in need, God did something through you that impacted the world. It's unbelievable. Now, how do we know this is going to happen? Let me share with you Matthew chapter 25. I've been spending a lot of time in Matthew, and um, it's amazing to me how much Jesus talks about What's going to happen after you die? And one of the things he talks about a lot, and he uses stories, is he talks about what's going to happen when you actually have your first encounter with God. And I think he talks about that a lot, you guys, because don't this all remember? Like, our time down here on this planet is like this. The Bible says it's like a vapor. It comes, and it's gone, and then it's gone. And then we're going to spend eternity, which is way, we can't even put our arms around that compared to this time. And I think that's why Jesus says, but what you do down here actually affects our time down there. So this is one of his stories that I read recently, Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes, when everything's done, in in his glory and all the angels with him, he's going to sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people, one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he's going to put the sheep on his right and he's going to put the goats on his left. And, and so again, Jesus, God incarnate, is coming down here to say, I just want to tell you what this is all going to be like. Now, what's true about sheep? They follow. In fact, when I was in Israel, I've shared this before, in the valley of the shadow of death, you see all these little um, pathways along this rocky cliff crevice. And at the bottom of that valley of the shadow of death are all these bones. And goats can just run all over the place. 
But it's the goat bones that are at the bottom of the valley, not the sheep, even though they're clumsy and stupid. But sheep know one thing, I'm going to follow the shepherd. So when Jesus uses, uses this analogy, what he's saying is, at the end of time, when I separate everybody, there's going to be people who actually followed me, and there's going to be people who didn't follow me. And then he says, here's how it's going to go. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you looked after me. And I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Now, so this is where, for all of you who went to Sunday school and all of you who've sat in church, I read this story, and if you're like me, you go, yeah, 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 I know this story. I tell you, this verse right here, even as we were reading through it in our run-through before the services this morning. Please hear this one, okay? So what Jesus says is, on that day, he's going to reply, truly I tell you. Whenever Jesus says, truly I tell you, what he's saying is to you this morning and to me, he's going, get this one, you guys. I, it's a, it's a, a statement of emphasis. He's going, I want to make sure that you understand a reality. Here's the reality. Whatever, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Whenever you heard that 9,000 people were going to die today and you responded to that and you said, not on my watch. And so you somehow got involved and you jumped in to say, I'm going to help this tragedy from continuing on. When your investment provided clean water to a young child or to a family, what Jesus was saying is, truly, you did that to me. See, that was Mother Teresa's secret. You guys know that, right? That when she saw people who were completely broken and completely wounded and really sick, and she took them in, the people that nobody else wanted to have anything to do, in her mind and in her heart, she goes, I get to do this to Jesus. See, and that's where we have to stop and let's be honest with ourselves. Because I can tell you right now, if Jesus was actually here and he was thirsty, wouldn't we all be like, running, you know? Let me be the one to give him some water. You know, if Jesus came, came up to you after church, man, I'm really hungry. Be like, man, let's come to my house for dinner. See, because we would love to do that for Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I'm telling you the truth here. The people nobody else is thinking about when you thought about them and when you did something about it, you actually did it to me. That's the sheep. If you know the rest of the story, he goes, now there's some goats over here. He goes, and I'm not going to go into that, I'm not going to read that part, but he just says, now you guys over here, you're the ones that when I was thirsty, you didn't do anything about it. And when I was hungry, you didn't care. And when I need clothes, you didn't clothe me. And, and he just says, so here's the deal. You're entering into the kingdom of God. 
And you guys, the kingdom of God means God actually reigns. So that means he gets to say, this is how it works. This is what is right. And when he says, you get to come, when he said that to these guys, come in, you blessed by the Father and take your inheritance, the kingdom. What he was saying is, you get to come and live in my ways and my ways are right. And you know why you get to come in? Because you've been living in my kingdom. You've actually been doing the things that I do. And eternity is going to be filled with people who actually do what God does, who have the heart that God has. That's why heaven's going to be different than earth. (laughs) Because who wants heaven to be like this? We don't. The reason it's different is because the people who are going to be there are the ones who followed the way of God. That's really important for us to understand. Now, let me, let me just ask you, and, and, and here's something that's really important. Jesus does these stories all the time in the book of Matthew and other places. What, and this is for all you Christians out there. If you would say, I'm a Christian, you got to hear this, okay? Every time, and I went to Susie, I go, please help me if I'm wrong here, but I'm not. If, and if I am, please come and share this. I would love to know. But when I read the Bible, every time that Jesus says, talks about our conversation with God at the end, It's always about what we did. Notice what it says there. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for me. Here's where I want to really caution all of you who are Christians in America. In America, as Christians, we like to be saved so we can get our ticket to heaven. And then what we like to do is we like to learn a lot about God. Can I be honest with you? I love to learn about, about, how many of you like to learn a lot about God? Okay, I love to learn a lot about God. But what's interesting is he never says, there's never one story where he goes, hey, you're gonna come together and God's gonna go, okay, tell me what Romans 9 meant. <laughs> and thank God he's not gonna ask that question. <laughs> see, he's, he's, you never see in the Bible where God says, hey, we're gonna get together and I want you to impress me with what you know. not there. Now let me tell you, knowledge is critical. That's why I study the word. That's why I'm in the Bible. But knowledge is important because knowledge is there just to make sure that you're believing the right thing. See, if you don't read your Bible, and if you don't ever try to figure out and get to know God, then you just believe whatever you want to believe, and that's no good. So you have to have knowledge But knowledge is always there just to make sure that you're believing the right thing. And then what it says is, and then once you believe the right thing, what will happen is you'll do the right thing. And that's why Jesus says, the whole point is this. You're supposed to love God. Here's what I want to know. Do you love God? Do you do whatever he asks you to do? Do you love people? And do you love the world that I love? See, it's all about that. And I just want to make sure that you understand that. Now, this is also really critical, okay? Because some of you are sitting there going, well, wait, wait a second. So you mean I got to do a lot of good things to get to heaven? Please, can I just, never. I, I mean, a message that says you have to do enough good things so that God eventually will love you and let you into heaven is from the pit of hell. Can I just say that again? I'm serious. Paul makes it so clear in Galatians 1. If you're trying to work your, if if you're listening to a message that says you have to do a bunch of good things to get to heaven, you're listening from the message from hell. That's not how you get saved. 
That's not how you enter God's kingdom. He's not up there demanding that you do a bunch of good things. Ephesians chapter two says this, you are saved by grace and it is a gift from God, not by works so that nobody can boast. It's the greatest message in all the world. That is such good news that I am not entering into heaven because I do a bunch of good things. I'm entering into heaven because I received the gift from God of the salvation that Jesus offered me. And then, but now listen, the very next verse says this, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You're saved by grace, not by works. You don't enter into relationship with God or get into heaven because you did enough good things. But once you receive the Spirit of God inside of you, God goes to work. You are God's workmanship. In other words, it really, it means you are God's masterpiece. And I love that image because my dad, he actually built this huge wood shop. And he does, when my dad goes into the wood shop, man, he just creates these beautiful things. And that's the picture. So when you receive Jesus, God goes to work in your heart. He gives you his spirit and he says, now you have me and I'm going to change your heart and you are going to care about the things I care about. Now you're going to love the things that I love. And that's why the Bible tells us. So when Jesus says, hey, When we come together and I'm going to separate you by what you did, what I'm saying there is this. If you have really received my spirit inside of you, then you will show it by the things that you do. See, I I do good things and I never do them in the hopes that I'm going to get to heaven. I don't. The reason I try to do good things is because there's this thing inside of me that won't let me keep doing bad things. (laughs) Now, I do bad things because I'm human. But there's something inside of me that keeps driving me to want to do what's right. And that's why I do them. And that's the Spirit of God. And if you have the Spirit of God in you, you're going to care about the things He cares about. That's how it works. So here's what, how how does a Christian, how does somebody who has the Spirit of God inside of you. What do you do when you hear a message and all of a sudden the reality is put in your face? Hey, you're not acting like me. What do you do when you hear a message from God and he goes, hey, listen, I care that 9,000 people are dying today. And you realize that you don't. How do you respond to that? Well, that's what hit me this week. And here's how it works. The first thing you do is you just agree with God. The word to confess your sin, to confess just means to agree with God. And some of you today need to quit pretending that you care about the things God cares about and you need to be honest with him and just say, I don't care, God. That's what I had to say this week to him. And then after you confess that to him, the next word, it's kind of a religious word, but it's the word repent. And all repent means is, so on Wednesday, before I started studying, I'm realizing I'm not doing anything well, I gave these guys a little bit of money. But I'm not doing anything to really help change this crisis that God cares about. That was Wednesday morning. I study this stuff and I realize I've got the Spirit of God inside of me. That's not okay. By Wednesday afternoon, I repented. And I turned around and I go, I can't do that anymore. If you're a Christian today, you can't keep doing that. So then what you do is you just turn around. You repent. You change your direction and you go, I'm going to be different from this point on. And then you know what you do? 
You simply just do what he asks you to do. And right now, he's asking us, I know he's asking us as his body, the church, on this planet in 2012 to care about the world and love the world. Because without clean water, people can't even get to the point of their heart with God or can't even care about the people that they love. They're just trying to survive. And we're supposed to do something about that. So here's what's cool. So I'm sitting in the kitchen with Susie and I go, okay, man, we're doing nothing. We got to do something. We, we can't, as followers of Christ, not do anything. What do we do? And as soon as I said that, I'm like, boom. I'm like, well, what do you mean? What do we do? Three, four, five. You guys seen these t-shirts all around today. Here's why, because Dave and Lene Feeling are going to come up here in just a minute to share with you. Dave and Lene are members here at K2. They were actually in my Life Together group back in Detroit. And they've come out here and they're going to share their story of how about, about how God gave them his heart on this issue. And the greatest thing is they have developed a way for all of us today to actually care to apply the, the point of this message. You, you do not have to go away today doing nothing. And, um, but sometimes, it, again, it can feel so big, but these guys have come up with a way for us to actually apply and actually follow Jesus. And we're going to have that chance this afternoon. So would you give it up for Dave and Lene as they come up here? Good afternoon, K2. Hi. <laughs> I'm David. Uh, this is my wife, Lene. And um, we're, we are the co-founders of 3 for 5. And um, I just want to tell you what, a, what an honor and a privilege it is for me and Lene to be up here talking to you about clean water today. And we just want to share a little bit of our story and uh, tell you a little bit about 3 for 5. So... Um, Basically, it all started about four years ago at K2. So we were volunteering with the uh, Fusion uh, Youth Group. That's the K2 high school youth group. And uh, that night, we were going to tell the kids about some uh, worldwide humanitarian issues that they could get involved with. So poverty, hunger, HIV. Um, and one of the, the causes was clean water. And so we walked into that night thinking we would, we would get them... Um, to be changed and to learn something new. But really, it was me and Lene on this particular night that, that found something new and, and our lives changed, I think, in a, in a really drastic way. Um, so um, we were, we were kind of with the kids and w- there was a particular statistic that, that just jumped out to me and really broke my heart. Uh, it didn't just grab it, it really broke it. Um, and that statistic is that every year, a million and a half kids under five Toddlers, babies will die every year from diseases caused by dirty water. And so basically that's diarrhea. Um, and when we were listening to that, um, we have a one-year-old, or we have a five-year-old now. He was one at the time. His name is Jackson. I think we have a picture of him. And I saw Jackson crawling around um, at, at Fusion. And I thought, if Jackson got sick tonight and got diarrhea... You know, we'd watch him. We'd give him maybe some Pedialyte if it got really, really bad. Worst case, we'd take him to the hospital and he'd get an IV. But there is no way that Jackson is going to die from diarrhea. It just doesn't happen in the United States. And so I had that thought and I thought, 
what about the other million and a half Jacksons? Like that night, clean water became real to me. I, I gained a million and a half little kids in my family, I think. Um, and so we just started brainstorming. What can we do? Um, and it turned out we can't do very much. We're just regular people. Um, but we had the thought, what if we just gave $5? What if we did something really small on purpose? Uh, we give $5, and what if we tell three people about it? Um, what would happen then? And that, that was, that's the, the foundation of three for five. The idea is three friends for $5. So the idea is you give five bucks, and you tell three people about what's going on in the developing world. Tell them how they can get involved really simply by giving five bucks. Everybody has five bucks. Um, and so that was the genesis of three for five. And, and now, four years later. Yeah, four years later, uh, we are so excited to just look at what has happened um, just from a, a group of people who are like-minded and giving small amounts of money. Um, and we just wanted to share with you that we have funded three water projects in three different countries. Um, yeah, in 2010, uh, we were able to fund a water project in Malawi that gave clean water to 300 people, half of whom are children. And then in 2011, uh, we worked with a school in Nigeria. And this time, uh, 1,600 students and teachers, and then the community could use the school grounds too, uh, got water in their school and some latrines and water storage tanks. So that's another project. And then um, at the end of 2011, we just finished, we just heard back uh, that the water project in Rwanda is completed. And that was part of a larger project. We didn't we didn't pay for all of it, but it affected 17,000 people, including six schools. So thank you, guys. Yeah, we've just been, we've been blown away. And um, yeah, it's, mo it's mostly from micro donations. And then there are some people who have gotten really inspired, and they've rallied people around them. And they've done some really cool, creative things, which uh, I'll mention later. But... I think David wants to talk about something. Yeah, uh, I wanted to bring up a, a, an example of people rallying, and it actually is from K2. So you remember back at Christmas time, K2 had its uh, Levolution campaign. And the idea behind that was they had a catalog with 10 charities, and they asked everybody, all of us, to maybe give a little bit less for Christmas and uh, redirect that, those funds to some great organizations. Well, 3 for 5 was one of those organizations. And we were out of town for, um, for the Christmas uh, season. But when we came back, we were blown away to hear that K2 had donated nearly $20,000 to 3 for 5. And that's, you guys rock. that's incredible. <laughs> so currently, we're in, we're in the process of investigating where our next project will be. And, and we're looking in a country called Swaziland. And um, Lene will talk more about it. But basically, Swaziland is in a really unique and tragic situation because, uh, primarily because of the HIV AIDS epidemic there. So you have basically this bifurcated society where you have a bunch of old people and a bunch of orphans, and there's nobody in between. Um, and so we're looking at Swaziland because water is a huge need. Um, go ahead. I think you'll see some pictures. Uh, most of the children, that's a well that's already done like in Malawi, but uh, the, the pictures of the children, yes, this is from Swaziland. Um, are in Swaziland, and the, the water situation is pretty dire. The average walk to get water is seven kilometers, which I figured out on Google Maps would be like walking from here to Sugar House in a Sugar House Park. 
and around the loop once. Um, and you'll see pictures of some kids carrying water, so maybe barefoot and 40 pounds of water. Um, and the water is often dirty. So we just really have a heart for everybody, but specifically, there's an average road. Um, specifically in Swaziland, our board just has got a heart for orphans, and so we're going to try and use K2's Lavolution money, your guys' generous donations, and help give orphans in Swaziland water. So we'll give you more details when we know them, a couple months probably. Yep. So with, with just a few minutes left, we wanted to give you guys some tangible ways to get involved today. Um, and they're really easy. We've got a, a little slide here for you. Um, the first way is to just donate. Uh, like I said, it's $5. Um, it's really easy. We, we have a tent um, out by the red box. So if you want, you can donate today. Um, or you can go online when you get home. You can go to 3for5.org. You can learn more about the organization, where we're funding projects and how we, how we kind of operate. You can invite friends from the website. Yep. Um, and so that's uh, another part of what you can do, um, and it involves just raising awareness. So half of our mission is to fund water projects. The other half is to raise awareness, because like, like we said, just four years ago, we didn't really know what was going on, and we suspect there's a lot of people like, like we were, and, and we'd like to change that, because we believe that with a little knowledge, like Dave said, that will affect what we believe and how we act. Um, so go ahead. Yeah, so um, if you wanted to order a T-shirt, uh, that's a great way to raise awareness. We wear our shirts sometimes when we're working out. You know, people can read the back and, you know, get inspired, maybe. <laughs> um, and then another, another idea we have up there is to create your own fundraising event for water. And I just wanted to tell you about the kids, um, students have been doing this a lot. Uh, there's a, a high school in Michigan that organized the Dash for Cash, a race that they ran and raised money for water using that. Um, also, our K2 students have been really involved. You've probably seen over the past years, uh, you know, elementary students selling bracelets. Um, ACR Adventure uh, Canyon program, those students raised $1,000 of the Levolution money, which is just awesome. And I think we had middle schoolers do a... Um, or they chose, they, they thought of this, they thought this up, but a 25-hour fast um, last year that raised money for the Nigeria Project. So anyways, if you have kids, talk to them. I think you'll be amazed at the compassion that they have on their heart and, and just set them free. Um, if you have any other ideas or you want more ideas, come and talk to us at the tent. I just want to say one last thing about your donation. So uh, we, we purposefully set up three for five to maximize your donations. So we partnered with some other organizations that are funding the operational expenses of 3 for 5. There aren't many, but there's some. Uh, we're all volunteers, so 3 for 5 doesn't actually have any employees. Um, and what that means is that we're able to give 100% of your donations directly to projects in need. So you can be assured that everything you give today or tomorrow or the next day is going to go directly to help, uh, in this case, likely children in Swaziland. Um, yeah, I think the final thing, though, the final way that all of us can help is, and the most powerful one, is to pray. Um, this crisis, I mean, the water, the water issue is on God's heart. It's way beyond anything that we can do by ourselves, but he's moving his people. And so just to pray that God continues to move our hearts to be like his and that we act out of that, um, I would say it's the most powerful thing. Mm -hmm. So we'd like to do that with you today. Uh, just have a word of prayer and uh, seek God's heart on this. God, thank you, for, um, thank you for K2 and all the amazing people that you have brought together here 
as part of your body. God, we just uh, we thank you for the way you love people. And we thank you for, um, God, we thank you for hearing the cry of, of little kids that don't have food, that don't have shelter, that don't have water. And God, thank you for, for t- letting us hear that call through you. We just ask that you would uh, bless us as we decide how to, how to move forward with your call on our lives, God. And uh, we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.